Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. This is going to be the hub for any professional out there who's looking to get to that next level within their business. Not only are they going to be dropping tips, but bringing in the absolute titans of industry. Big names out there, like the people like David Meltzer, leaders of their industry. We're going to share with you exactly how they got there, the problems they faced, how they overcome it so you can use them within your business. We're going to be dropping weekly gems that you can go off to help you get up to that next level. And we look forward to having you here on the journey. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Masters Podcast. I'm David, the Sales Angel. And today... We are treated by Harry. Do you pronounce your name Kosata? Is that connect, correct? Kosato. My apologies. So we were talking right. a moment ago. You've got a, a pretty interesting sushi business. You've helped some massive companies um, really scale out their brands like Virgin, uh, Dyson and other big companies. Um, and when we, we, the team was, was saying to me, who would I like to get on? And um, I'd seen you on, where did I listen to you? I heard you on someone else's podcast. And I was like, you just right. come across such an interesting guy with such a good story. And I think people that are watching this and listening to this um, will really get some good value out of it. So thank you for coming on. I'm really delighted. I always uh, have one key uh, rule. Never say no to an invitation. Um, <laughs> so I, I am delighted because... Life, you never know, you know, what opens doors and what, you know, brings the next uh, corner around. So, you know, I'm also helping um, interesting people. But, you know, it's really an honor to be on your wonderful show. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming in. So with people that are watching this today or listening in on um, one of the many podcast apps out there, for a lot of people that are listening, they're business owners, sales managers, salespeople, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs. Um, so I think it'd be good to go back to the start because you've got an amazing business at the moment. And you've got, is it seven sushi places in India? Which I wouldn't even think yes. India was a massive place. Is India big for sushi? I never would have thought it. I don't know why. India is the, the next biggest place for sushi, I think, in the world. Um, um, as you know, I mean, India has a huge economy. Uh, the population is uh, 1.4 billion. Um, and it's growing. We're, we're, I think uh, economic growth is about 8% plus. Which is strong. Um, so, yeah. And the thing is, I think what people don't realize that there is so much wealth and so much potential in India. Um, you know, the world's a big place, David it San, is. as you know. And, um, you know, I think um, it, it's just that we're just at the sort of you know, the beginning, at the tip of the iceberg of, of the Himalayas, as it were. Of, of business, I, I would mm. say. And I think it's not only sushi. There's so much opportunity. I really encourage, you know, all your lovely listeners to say, you know, come to India because there's, there's a potential here. It's, it's huge. It's something that I've been, you know, really, really telling a lot of people last 14 years. But the last five years, it's kind of, you know, it's, there's this upward trajectory of growth. Mm. which I really, really see um, immense growth in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Fantastic stuff. Okay, well, let's go back to the earlier stages because you've done some amazing things um, with Virgin and with, with Dyson. Take us back to the early stages for yourself within business. So you, you were working for big brands 
Um, what was your first route into marketplace? What was your experiences? Uh, did you go into the big company straight away? Did you have to work your way yeah. through? Yeah. So when I left Oxford, I actually wanted to stay in the UK to do some work. Yeah. And um, fortunately, I was picked up by um, a company now which is known as um, Accenture. So at that time, it used to be called Arthur Anderson. And um, I kind of it was uh, given the opportunity to, to work in international tax and personal tax, you know, sort of people who were, you know, traveling around the world, um, Microsoft executives, Sarah Lee executives, um, you know, all these people who were moving around the world who needed international tax advice, U.S., mm. U.K., Canadian. So that was my first experience of, you know, seeing relatively uh, wealthy people going around the world and really making an impact in their different um, territories that they were assigned to. So, you know, that was like, you know, people who were earning six, seven figures. And I was a very young guy out of Oxford and telling them, you know, sir, please move out of uh, uh, the U.S. because you have uh, another two days before you, you have to pay tax or something like that. So it was really kind of interesting kind of thing. But um, my big thing was... You know, uh, that really didn't continue for a long time because I, I thought I wanted to actually see the world, not, yeah. uh, you know, not only live in the UK. So I um, went to Thailand uh, because there was a big earthquake in Japan in 1995. And you realize, you know, shit happens. A lot of people died. One of my relatives, unfortunately, passed away. I think 5,000 people passed away in that big earthquake in 1995. And I said, well, you know, got to enjoy life, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, see see what you can do in life because the world's such a such a big place. So, you know, I was a boring, well, not boring, but kind <laughs> of, a, you know, uh, but many people thought I was boring. You were doing a tax consultancy role um, at Art Anderson. And then I left and then, you know, booked a one-way ticket to Bangkok, took a suitcase and then started a business, which is crazy. Unheard of. This is 1995, sir. Mm. And um, I think within two months with uh, my my girlfriend, then my partner, my wife now, we, we started this business, which was a school. So that was like the beginning of my venture life. And, you know, ultimately it was doing very well, but it failed. And that's the that's the amazing thing. Because I failed, I think Richard Branson took me on in a sense. Really? Because, yeah, because, you know, um, we were successful, but you know the, the thing is, you learn the hard way in life, right? Yes. I mean, it, I don't, I don't think it's like this, this right hand curve. It's kind of like yeah, up and up and up. And I think you know, uh, coming out of this failure, I, I actually pivoted and did a, a publishing business, and from there, somehow I applied for this ver version sort of uh, role in uh, in Tokyo, Japan. Um, and out of 400 people, I got a job even without ever having studied or done any marketing. Wow. As a marketing head of Virgin Cola in Japan. This was in 1998. And um, so it's just like it's such an honor, right? Then, then obviously you learn because you, you've got to learn. And then from there I learned. And then from there from Virgin Cola, I went to Virgin Megastores. Uh, it's a, it was a $100 million business. Mm. Then from there, I set up a Virgin Cafe. Then I was headhunted to work for Dyson, which, as you know, in the UK, one of the most successful engineering companies in the mm. UK, again doing marketing. 
but that was also quite interesting because I was a sort of outside guy and outside guys kind of are not worried about, you know, so much about, you know, their path in the company. It's more like, let's do it right. And I yeah, think yeah. that was also a great thing. So, so somebody coming fresh from the outside with fresh ideas. And that, that's really where I sort of was uh, doing head of marketing for launching Dyson in Japan. Can you believe it? I mean, it was a company which I think now, I don't know, it's, it's a huge company now, billions. Yeah, massive, but yeah. when we, we started, I think the business was about $5 million. And you know, a little after I left, the, the company was probably $200 million. So in Japan, it's, it really, really grew because Japanese consumers care about quality. And Dyson's real success, I think, is because they started to launch products in Japan which was a benchmark for all consumers around the world because Japanese consumers are more, more demanding, maybe most demanding in the world. Mm, interesting with that. So when you're going into a role, you go in, you get straight headhunted in as a digital um, manager for Virgin Cola in Japan, where you presumably mm. had quite a big team with that as well, that, that you're managing. No, right? no, no, no. That I was myself. This is, actually, this is, this is before digital. It was a marketing uh, role, a head of marketing. So, you know, I had an agency work for us, but it was me. When we had the CEO and we had two sales guy and one admin guy, and we launched Virgin Cola with the franchise partner um, in, uh, in, in, uh, in Japan. So, so, how, so that's an interesting point. Let's jump into that. So you've got no experience in it before you've jumped in you've got a couple of salespeople there so what was your route to market what was what was the plan were you did you have these guys or ladies just out hitting the phones back then because obviously not really as internet strong what what was the plan yeah. and the strategies you went with? so so yeah so basically there were three things we did one is product driven because we were selling virgin cola mm. um we had a uh, maybe you know pamela nanderson the, the supermodel yeah. There's a bottle that was shaped along the contours of her beautiful body called a Pammy bottle. So we launched that in, in Japan together with a, a canned uh, version cola across 100,000 vending machines across Japan. So that was a big thing. Route to entry mm. was distribution and a product that was really, really different. And the proposition that was different from Pepsi and Coca-Cola, which was like, you know, the sort of, you know, the incumbents, you know, whereas version cola was a challenger cola. So one is product. Second is events. We did a lot of events. So, for example, we did events with uh, rock festivals like Fuji Rock. Uh, maybe, you know, it's a big, big uh, rock festival in Japan. Um, we did a lot of sampling, you know, um, you know, thousands and thousands of sampling bottles across from Hokkaido to the north to Okinawa to the south. We did distribution sampling. And the third thing that we really did was we really thought about ways to get capture people's minds because mm. we didn't have the money that money that uh, Pepsi or Coca Cola did. So we did this incredible campaign called the Virgin Lifetime Campaign, where if you actually send in your answer about a quiz about Virgin, you would get a ticket to London for eighty years, a lifetime of tickets to London. The second prize was you would get a CD or a DVD for life for 80 years. If you, get, if you win the prize, you, you get one CD per month. And the last one, which is the crazy one, was you would get a can of Virgin Cola for the next 80 years. 
So those captured the imagination of the young people. And I think we, at that time, we had the record, nearly 300,000 entries for this uh, campaign, which was, un- it was the first time I think we did a lifetime campaign in Japan. And for a very little amount of marketing budget, we were able to create such a big, big noise. Mm. So then you've gone off, you go off to Dyson um, yeah. and, and doing that. Did you see with the big changes that were coming around in technology, but that role really transformed a lot on what you were doing? Or did you go with the same sort of plan with them? Because Dyson wasn't the big company it is now, right? They were bigger yeah. than, 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 than what... Than what um, the average company is, but they weren't the, the, the sort of global brand. So what's some of the challenges that you would see that, that might relate to people who are watching this now, but when you're launching a product or a brand, some of the problems and issues you had and you had to overcome, but would probably still be relevant now? Yeah, so I think version, as you know, they do many things, whereas yes. I think uh, uh, Dyson has a lot of focus. And um, what is probably more most uh uh, amazing about Dyson is the engineering, or shall we say, the product. Yes. And so marketing is kind of extra. You know, we were told we're the kind of guys who are just going to promote the product, which is what what it is. And in a sense, mm, Dyson's amazing thing is that it is so single minded, focused on brand, yeah, and quality and brand. That is the reason why I think they are very successful because they are in a sense, tunnel vision so that they're so focused on the consumer. They're focused in that maybe the customer doesn't know what he or she wants. And that's what Dyson did. They, 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 they created a vacuum cleaner that really picked up dust, mm. which the others didn't. And now it's like, you know, now Dyson does what? You know, hair dryers, they do um, a, fan, a fan with a fan. Mm. Now, you know, but what I'm saying is that they were so single-minded about getting it right for the customer. And for us marketing people, we, we just had to tell that message. So in a sense, our job wasn't as difficult because the product really was, so, sold yeah. itself. And I think that's the thing that, you know, if you're trying to launch a product or you're working at a different company and you're trying to do something, I mean, choose something that you really believe in or something that is truly spectacular. You know, it's not like selling Virgin Cola. Unfortunately, it, it was actually, if you do blind tests back then of mm. Virgin Cola, it was always number one. But the branding that the people thought about, you know, it is, they, they, they drank Virgin Cola and said, oh, this is Coca-Cola. That's how strong the brand marketing yes. of, of, a, of a fizzy drink, um, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola marketing. So that's a completely different business. You know, mm. I think uh, Dyson was successful and is still successful because it's, it's, I mean, obviously it was great, you know, selling cola, challenging Pepsi and, and we, we, but the thing is for version, doing version cola was not really so much to be successful in that business, mm. but to kind of use version cola as one marketing sort of support to the many other businesses that yeah. were at that time in Japan. Underneath a Virgin it, yeah. Cinema, yeah. A Virgin Cinemas or over that. Virgin Cinemas, Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Megastores, V2 Records, uh, Virgin Records. There, there were so many things around the Virgin mm. um, business that I think Virgin, by, by saying to the world, Richard Branson being on the front page of the New York Times, 
saying I'm challenging Pepsi and uh, uh, Coca-Cola in Japan. That itself, that became the message, that became the support of the marketing of the total version brand, if you know what I mean. Mm. I've always found it really fascinating with Richard Branson and his story um, and, and the way that, that it was all navigated. So if we zoom forward now, what took you from doing that side to then deciding to open up your own businesses um, and to, to go to, did you go to India straight away or did you open elsewhere yeah, first? Yeah, I, I, I went Which that's a big to, jump, right? Set up yeah, yeah, business, I mean. Go to a country which isn't renowned for the product. How yeah, did you come about yeah, that I, as a decision? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very, very good question. And, you know, everything is 2020 in hindsight. Yes. But when I came to, <laughs> yeah, when I came to India in 2007, the airport was so bad. And, you know, I would have a meeting at 10 o'clock and they'll show up at 2 o'clock. There was, broadband didn't exist. I mean, it was just like a completely different world, right? Mm. But, the reason why I wanted to come to a different country like India was to be part of a growing economy. Mm. Japan, as you know, unfortunately, is not growing. It's shrinking, right? It's a very wealthy economy, okay, GDP-wise. Yes. I mean, I love Japan. Don't get me wrong. But the opportunities in Japan are much, much less compared to the opportunities of being in India because there is so much that you can do as because you're part of the growth. You're also growing. You, know, you, you can make mistakes. You can do so many things. You know, it's, it's like the, the middle class is growing every day. Right. There's 8%, 9% growth. And after 14 years, I can say, after having created a business from scratch, I mean, honestly, it's been tough, you know, le- leaving a very cushy job yes. at, at Dyson. To go for the then, risk. It, the yeah. Risk is huge, and, right? Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, it's only after 14, 15 years, I mean, in September, it'll be 15 years, that finally all of the pain and suffering and the highs and lows and the sort of everything in between has started to kind of gel into a business which has, I think, the potential of the next 20, 30, 50 years. So when we're talking about that business, because this is the important part, I think, for a lot of people, is they see the brand after 15 years. Yeah. And they go, oh, I could have done that. I wish yeah. I'd have thought of that. But can you yeah. talk about some of the, the points where maybe you were close to it? Just You know, there's those points in most businesses where – you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're chasing this debt to pay that debt. And there's this one. And you've got all these invoices coming in and you're trying to delay them all, waiting for this. And you're juggling the money and the stuff. Can you talk? Because everyone does the halo stories. But I like to hear the survivor stories. So can you shine a little bit of the light on that? Yeah, I mean, honest. I mean, I don't recommend entrepreneurship to most people. I mean, it, it, it sounds glamorous. It looks glamorous. And it's not at all, right? <laughs> it's not. I mean, but David Tan, you know that 90% of businesses fail in 10 years. <sighs> yes. 0.02% of businesses are the only businesses to survive 30 years. Okay? Now, if I had known that, would I have it. really done, done it? No, probably You've not. You've got to be crazy. 
No, no, I am crazy. The thing is, you know, <laughs> and and I'll I'll tell you, there there was a time when you know, and I I I I am kind of honest because I think you know honesty is sometimes cathartic. So I was crying. I'm like, what the yeah. hell have I done to come to India? Where it was so tough, you know, you ha- ask for something to be done, it won't be done. You know, I mean, like, what the hell? And then, and then, but you know, I think it was like day by day. After after about two years or three years or so, and finally, I you know, because I was doing different things. I was not only doing sushi. You know, I was trying to do government work. I was oh, really? doing consultancy. Yeah, it's not like the sushi thing happened like overnight. No, it's not like we were doing importing. We were doing retailing. You know, I tried many things, and then sushi and more was the only thing, truly, that kind of really, after this kind of, even in a sense, this pandemic mm. has, because it was a, it's a delivery business, right? A sushi delivery business, that, you know, when restaurants had to close in the lockdown, we were open and we're delivering happiness, which is in sushi, to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who were in need of good food and, you know, mm. you know that comfort food. You know, sushi is, is great. You know, it's, it has that kind of energy. Great sushi is great. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, next, time, I, next, time, next time, I'm going to treat you when you come to Tokyo or I'm, wherever I'm, in Japan. I'm interested. I'm interested. I, you have it. You have it uh, I'll, I'll do the red carpet, okay? I'll invite you to the best sushi place. But you can also come to India. And have some amazing sushi. And the, the, the sort of secret is 60% of our customers are repeat. Yeah. They love it. They say, and then, you know, at one point I was like, shit, this is so hard. I think I should quit. And then I was speaking to my wife. My wife is just, you know, she's really, you know, been through it all. And I really kudos to her. But she's like, Harry, why are you quitting now? You know, you've done all the hard work, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to come back. And it came back and we doubled our business in the pandemic. Wow. I mean, can you believe it? And we are now in it's it's a small, you know, seven store business. We're the largest sushi business in India. I mean, who cares? Okay. We're doing a hundred thousand meals in a country one point what four billion, mm. but I'm bringing happiness to at least a hundred thousand, you know, people who love our sushi. And you know, the potential is in the next 10 years. It can not only maybe double, it can maybe go to 10 times, 20 times, or 30 times because incomes are rising, people want healthy food, people want yummy food, and we're just at that cusp of that growth where maybe we can be doing 450 stores in 10 years. Possible. Mm. So when you set it up initially, Mm. was there the vision that I want to have more than one store or was it let's do one let's do because it's not a store it's an outlet but you're doing delivery right so was it more the fact of let's set this one location up let's see if it works and when it does we'll open up two and three and five and ten or has there always been the vision to open a big amount of this what how does that process work it's a very very good question so um I think a lot of people I don't know about your life but I don't think I've ever planned my life properly, no. if you know what I mean. Um, and this is a very nice saying in Japan. If you don't know what to do, throw a stone. Okay? Throw it. Right? So that's what we did. We, we, we threw the stone, as in we set up a very small 
very, very small sushi place, okay, in the southern Mumbai, south Mumbai, and we started serving sushi, right? So from there, you know, we've grown to, you know, seven, eight stores, and we went down to six stores, and we, we but now we're kind of, you know, I think next store will be maybe another city, because we're in three cities right now. But it was never like, I'm going to do 100 stores. Or it's going to be, but it's more like, honestly, this is a secret. It's more like, I want to make sure that the sushi that goes out today from my chefs who is ever making it and they sign their names. Oh, really? It's, he's, gar- he's guaranteeing yeah, that it's, I like it's the that. best sushi. And my thing is, what you do today is it's most important. I, I'm not so much about tomorrow or the day after. It's like, let's give it 200% today. And Honestly, I was like, we're, we're celebrating our 10th year now. Congratulations. And I was just like, thank you. And, I, and, you, like, and you, look at, you look at the numbers and it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, we started from zero, sir. Nothing. Zilch. And then we're doing 100,000 sushis, which is nothing. It's such a small business people love. But for the consistency and the people who love us, sushi more is a must in India right now. And mm. that's such an honor, right? And that, that means that I have a responsibility yeah. to continue to serve. And that one sushi that's going out today as we speak, and on my screen, I have a screen that's, that, that, that shows me every order that's going out. Every order. And I, and I think, great, you know, this person is happy because of our sushi. That means our commitment is to bring the best to the customer and that going back to Dyson a little bit, you know, it's the product. Yes, 100%. Because there's so much competition out there. I mean, for me now, so I've got an online um, sales coaching platform. But, right. but and I've spent a huge amount of time. I think we've got nearly 800 videos on there now. It's like 38 hours. Wow. Worth of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, but again, it was like build something small that you can sell or build something which is going to be a hub for people, yep. right? But people can just get there. They pay a bit of money. They have access to it every month. And I'm like, okay, what can we do today that's going to add more value? What's on there now? Because it's great. But what can we add in there? But it's not going to just, we're not trying to just become like everyone else. What can I do extra? What's the thing that's missing? What's the thing we can do? But if I upload one video today, it's going to impact the people that are watching it. And it's so great to hear with your business. That's the same because it's selling is selling. We could also, yep. you could sell, you could probably sell a lot more sushi initially if you rushed it a bit more. But by holding mm. high standards, people have mm. an expectation of you. They refer business to you. They come back for more sushi because yep. of that, right? That standard is so important. Now, here's the thing I'd love to ask you. With the sushi business in India, was there many other sushi places when you were opening? Or did you specifically open in air? So you open in an area, so they've never had sushi. So when you've done that, what was the reaction? Because a lot of people try to stay in the shadows in business. You Mm. have far not done that. You've gone to a country Mm. and an area with no sushi and delivered something which is completely out the norm. What was that initial six months like? Did you get a lot of excitement about it? Was it just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the first few, uh, say, 18 months was like, you know, growth after growth and, you know, 
media coverage after media coverage and people are talking about it coming to the store Bollywood actors you know models mm. you know film actors all of that because right? they're used to having sushi in other countries and yeah. suddenly it's like and, opening up it's like opening yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the party yeah, because for our, our sushi is affordable sushi okay. it's not like a high end sushi like you go in London in Nobu or something like that we want to bring it so that it's reasonable For so that everyone. the people who love it, we have people who are maybe like middle class or something can have it to make their lives much happier, if you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. So what I'm trying to say is that the initial interest was there, but, you know, then people started copying us, you know, which is good, you know, but the, mm. the, but, but, but the thing is you have to realize sushi is not a big thing in India, but most people can't really make the consistency. Okay. And for a Japanese guy to be heading it, where I go to the sushi, our main kitchen, every day I'm in India, okay, without fail. Mm. After a call, I'm going to go to sushi. And they're like, you know, that's it. You have to have, you have to spend the money, the commitment, the time. I mean, it, it doesn't happen overnight, as you know, David Tom. Yeah, 100%. And it is, it's that initial outlay with there. So we've been doing something at the moment where, we're testing out and we've got uh, so we took two salespeople on. One of them is an right. assistant. He's based out in the Philippines. Great guy. Really good guy. He's training him up and he's really effective. And then we've took someone else on who is UK based. There's a lot of sales experience. Um, and we're testing out the difference between giving the same people, because they're very similar age-wise and everything else, but there's mm. a certain level of hunger difference with Patrick, who's our guy, who's based out in the Philippines. He's a lot hungry yeah. for it, right? And right, the guy right. in the UK, he's great. He's a really good guy. But when he's contacting UK businesses, there's going to be more resistance, we found so far, for the Filipino because they, they, there's a judgment behind it. But what we're seeing mm. is that the hunger that people have mm. is one such a desirable trait. And when you go mm. off in a business, you've got to have that hunger, haven't you? You've got to have a desire. Yeah. You've got to have a want. You've got to want yeah. it more than failure wants to show up because failure is going to come and get us all. It's always going yeah. to knock on the door. And if we're yeah. not turning up every day, it's going to bite us in the backside, right? So when you're sure. in business now, you've seen great growth with COVID and all the other side. Can you talk about some of the, the troubles that you've had with the business that people might be able to relate to? I mean, my goodness, you know, we pay somebody on the 15th, they're gone on the 16th, they don't mm. come back. We have had, you know, uh, somebody saying, I'm coming tomorrow for sure at 10 o'clock. Doesn't show up for three weeks saying, I'm, I'm going home for, to, to see my, I don't know, my aunt who's sick. Um, or things like just the tuna, who, which was supposed to be frozen, was left outside. I mean, there's so many things that, but but th th that's the thing that people don't realize. Yes. There is so much that goes on behind the scenes in order for that sushi to be perfect, like your show. I mean, there's a there's a whole architecture, right? There's massive. a whole, you know, massive, right? And that's what people don't see. And people only see the product, right? <laughs> yeah, and, they, and then people ask why it costs so much. But even when it's affordable, <laughs> right? And you yeah, know what? Like, yeah. well, it's not just bit of fish, bit of rice, put it in a box, have it to you. Like the amount of work, the amount of training, the amount of design, the amount of failure, the amount of tuna, which we can't use because it's not the right standard, the amount of staff you hire that have got to leave, the amount of things that we do 
to get the one success, there's 10 failures behind it. And that's all cost money and time and effort and delays, right? Exactly. Exactly. And mm. my team is amazing. And, you know, but thing is, the team is everything, right? Yeah. As you know, David, huh? because, you know, I can't cook the sushi. I can sort of lay the ground, yeah. lay the sort of, you know, vision, the lay the sort of, you know, lay of the land. It's the team that delivers the sushi. But the responsibility is on me, ultimately, that if something goes wrong, I've got my name on it, right? Yes. I'm proud. And if there's anything wrong, my number is there. You can call me. Um, The the whole idea is that you have to be ultimately, truly, and utterly responsible for the product that you deliver. Mm. Talking of hiring people, so when you're coming into Mm. your businesses, Mm. Who were your first hires? Who were the first people yeah. you hired in the business? So the fir- first, the first was my kind of right ma- right hand man, who was also a director, uh, Nusan, who's an amazing, amazing uh, guy, who was fresh out of college. And did you and, know uh, him? Did you know him before, or did you find him or hire him for, from like a, an advert? No, no. So this is one of those weird things. So what do you do <laughs> if you want to if you want to set up a sushi place in India? What, what would you do, David? If I was going to what, sorry? Set up a sushi place in India. What would you do first? Well, first, I'd get out to India. Secondly, I'd try yeah. and find people that can cook. And then thirdly, I'd want to try and train them up on to how to do sushi. <laughs> Which is exactly what it did. So first I landed in India. Then I thought, hmm, who's somebody who knows how to cook? So I, I called India's largest catering college. Right. I went to see the, the head of department. Um, a lovely man. Unfortunately, he passed away, Verdon. And he's, he is the one who said, well, there's this nice guy <laughs> who's our uh, student body president. You right. might want to speak to him. So I spoke to him. He probably kicked all these other you know, high-flying jobs in five-star hotels and they came to work with me. I mean, it's freaking crazy, right? Like a guy mm. out of a suitcase coming yeah, from yeah, Japan yeah. to India. But he saw the opportunity. And I think he still does. That. I mean, we're still at the cusp of, uh, of growth. But I think, I mean, yeah, I think it's kudos to him that he came aboard. And then the third thing is we, we brought a chef from Japan mm. to teach the people we hired yeah. with the basics of sushi. And, and then we've never looked back. So with the first hire, what was his role? So he's coming, he's now a partner. Was he taken on as a partner? No, or? no, he's more like, he's, 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 he's kind of, mm, uh, he's our business manager, if I may say. Good. And um, so, you know, he started out with zero experience, um, but he, he's kind of, you know, looks over operations, finance, marketing together with me mm. um, and, and driving the business. So and this is why I find it's interesting because I think for a lot of people when they start up, that first hire, who to mm. take on? Because we only know what we know, right? We've got to be pretty yeah. smart, and you're, you're clearly a smart guy, to be able to spot our own weaknesses, to know our flaws, to know the gaps that we just don't know. And I think for mm. a lot of people in their businesses, they try and find someone for a problem they think they've got when they don't necessarily know the problem which is the most important. So when you've brought this person in, was it as much for 
the you want them in every area, really, I guess, didn't you? You want them to be able yeah. to provide assistance and yeah, so, provide I mean, a sounding he, board. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he's an all rounder, which mm. is great. But I I don't know I don't know if you believe in destiny at all. But you know I I I it's not a negative sort of predeterministic destiny. I mean the, I mean just imagine the odds, you know. Yeah, yeah. Finding a catering, catering college, calling them up, going to the school, ultimately finding the sort of you know right hand man who's like amazing guy himself who's running other business as well and he's helping other people as well both you know as a charity whatever so the thing is the odds of that i'm i I must say like one is i'm freaking lucky right i'm so incredibly honored to say that i'm so lucky but it's just also the fact that you know i think like my thing together and somehow it clicked and you know we've been we're working together 14 now 15 years this year wow and do you see a lot of that roles now, do you see what you're doing? It's evolving a lot more because as your team is growing, you're you're passing down roles, really, aren't you? Okay, I don't need to do that, and I don't need to do that. Well, so, that's true. True. I mean, honestly, sorry to interrupt. I no, mean, no, go I, ahead. I, I think from from the beginning, I wasn't so much hands on because I I I always think that there should be one core person who's yeah. the kind of the team leader who's kind of holding it together, and sort of the general direction, the the food the menu, the uniforms, the branding, the sort of, are we going to open another store, close this store? You know, all of those decisions, you know, yeah. bigger decisions. But the day-to-day running is, you know, is we have our store manager who's kind of an operations head um, and our head chef and Anush, who's the, the, uh, the, the guy who's the business manager. The three of them are working together with ops and chefs and delivery guys and all of that. So it's a very um, hardcore um, operations-led business, which I don't get involved, but I go and see the the product. I go actually, I always go and buy the sushi every day, you know, so that I pay for the sushi too, right? Because they realize that, you know, because I don't want to mess up the food cost. I also want to make sure that they understand I'm a customer as much as anybody else. Yeah, because you want to make sure the one that you pick up, not... Exactly. Give me one to try. You want to pick one out at random and know that that quality is still there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is is what they're doing. I don't think. I think when you're paying for your own product as well, you value it more and you look at it as a client rather than as the boss. You're you're seeing that experience, and it gives you all the little things that you're doing. If I walk in to get a coffee from my local coffee shop. And you're walking in. If I own the coffee shop, you're not necessarily paying attention. But as a customer, you're standing in the queue. You're seeing how the shelf looks. You're seeing how the fridges are looking. You're paying attention to all the fine details. And those are really the details that matter for the user experience as well, right? Yeah. So I just show up at the store. I don't tell them what I'm coming. Or sometimes I call them up, you know, to see how the, the reaction on the phone is. Because those are very soft skills. Mm. But you know, immediately you know if there's not there's nobody answering your phone. I mean, yes. it's just like that, right? So I mean, I mean, I think one of the the, the phrases I like in business is to do something normally that you expect is the most difficult thing to do mm. because there's so much behind that to make sure that the normal becomes normal, yes. and that's so difficult. Mm. So if someone's watching this now and they're thinking about they're setting up a business, not not necessarily sushi, but in a business in general, and you could pass over two bits of advice 
that they're new to business, they've got an idea, they've got a plan. What would be two bits of advice that you would give them that, that, that they should take away? I mean, honestly, I, I'm not at the position to really get advice. But if I may say, um, I think one is the attention to detail. Like know every part of your business. Know where everything is going, where everything is going, what that bill is, what, what you know, like, for example, I know exactly how many orders which are coming, how much it is, where it is coming from, where, what stock am I buying, yeah. um, all of that. So uh, that, that attention to detail is one thing. The second thing, I think, uh, which is the contrary or the converse is that Always have a hundred kilometer view. You know, mm. look at it, look at it from above, as if you're a customer, or if you're just looking at your store from above or your business from above, and say, "Well, is that right?" I love it, and I, I agree completely. I think too many times out there, we get caught up, especially with it. So, if you're going to open a business that's a passion, it's very easy to get caught up with the emotion. And the excitement of the very thing that you're going to do. And then you mm. can quite easily let the details slip. You don't get a good enough aerial view of what's going to happen and when it's going to happen and how it will happen. And I think it completely ruins it for everyone. Great advice as per. And I'm, I'm honestly really enjoyed you coming on today. I appreciate you. Can I ask one question? You can Just ask to anything round thing off. Of course. What's your definition of success, David Sam? Um... For me personally, the definition of success is to have the, the freedom of options that are out there. And that's not just in business. So I'm a, I'm a single dad. So my daughter lives with mm. me seven days a week. and My son lives with me 18 days a week. I remember mm. when I used to travel to London every day and I used to leave at five in the morning. I get home at 10 at night and I earned 150, 180,000 a year. It was doing all right. I was not free in the slightest. I now work by choice more than I ever have, but I also have as many gaps in my life as I want. Like I can take a month off today, right? But for me now, like I do the school run every day. Like I love Mm. it. I know the amount of Mm. parents out there and I turn up at the school gates every day, happy as hell. Like I feel lucky. I feel successful, but I get the freedom to do that. Everyone else seems to find it as a Mm. chore. Now part Mm. of it's a mindset, Mm. right? So for yeah. me, I get up at five mm. happily because I see the mm. opportunity. I enjoy mm. my few hours work. I spend time with the kids to do the school run. I come back and I, I make some phone calls. I talk to the team. If I suddenly go, I look at my calendar and it's booked up. But if I now want to book off out of my calendar a month, I can just book down my calendar. All my clients that come on, right? So I mm. do one-on-one coaching. So my clients, whenever they start, I say, just to let you know, we're going to be working together for the next year. At some point, I might be on holiday, but I'll still yeah. coach because I love what I do. I genuinely, I am addicted to coaching. I love it. Mm. But I say mm. to my clients, we could be doing this and I could be in a villa in Dubai and my kids could be jumping in the pool behind us. So you'll always have me, but part mm. of success for me is the freedom mm. and the ability to watch mm. my kids grow up whilst building an absolute beast of a training uh, platform, interacting and making a good impact and doing charity and all the other stuff. 
But having that freedom to use your calendar when you want and have the freedom and the choice to do what I want. And I, I really love the fact that I choose to be my, a lot of my friends think I'm crazy. They're like, why do you work so much? I'm like, because I get to, like, I get to yeah. do this. I could get to do something I'm good at, but I like with people I enjoy. Like I get to interview, like, this is not work. <laughs> I've sat talking to you, right? This you is know. hard, right? I get to get off this call and jump off with a client who's been working with me now for two years. They pay me 50,000 a year, right? And I talk to this guy every week. We talk on WhatsApp. We get on a call and it's like this. And his business has gone from a million a year to 9.6 million. So I'm not Great. only like getting the success, I'm getting to work with people I like. I get to, to a degree, choose my clients. And I get to spend time watching my kids grow up. For me, massively my success. I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I think when I, I want to sort of tell you is that what I kind of get from that is is really two words alive yes and continuity mm. and i think for me success is being feeling alive today at this present moment and also as a business because i'm helping a 350 year old company which is called Tikoman which is uh, one of the largest uh, soya sauce companies Uh, in the world japan's number one soy sauce company you should david if you don't know that i'll send you some soy sauce because it will change your life what what is the bottle it's not the the round bottle with the red lid on it is it yes is it okay yeah that's what we use (laughs) so it's it's so that's what you use but that's the japan's number one soy sauce right okay and and it has a tradition of 350 years over so for me i've learned so much working with them because 350 years is something like 12, 13 generations or more. I have no idea. That's amazing. So so whenever I go and, you know, work with them and learn with them and then sort of ideate with them and interact with them, I feel very alive Mm. because I'm delivering, helping deliver, you know, very tasty sort of, you know, soy sauce, which is the number one soy sauce in the world, which you can use for any cuisine. Mm. including British cuisine, Indian cuisine, Chinese cuisine. And also it gives you so much happiness because good food makes you happy, right? It does. Yeah, it makes a massive difference. So alive and continuity, in my opinion, in recent years, I've been studying a lot and I'm actually doing a doctorate, is that about studying these 100-year companies, is that these two things, whatever makes you alive, and whatever is continuous, I think, is success. I agree. Harry, thank you so much for coming on today. I've genuinely thank you so much. loved this conversation. For anyone who's watching this now, if they want to come and check you out or find out more details, tell them what you've got going on. Yeah, so you can always uh, look me up on Instagram at Ladita Limited, or you can also look at, uh, at Sushi Sushiemore India. So yes. those are the two handles, Ladita Limited for Sushi and More India. So Sushi and More India. Um, we'll put all the details well, below on this. Great. And David, I'll, I'll come and see you. Yes. I look forward to seeing you in person. Yes. Um, and, and interacting and learning from you. 100%. It's such an honor. Thank I'd you for coming on. I've genuinely so enjoyed this. I've really enjoyed this conversation. If there's ever anything I can do for you, please do um, just drop me a message. Hopefully we'll stay in touch. Uh, ladies and gents, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Sales Masters podcast. Go and check out Harry. 
Um, and I look forward to seeing you all on the next episode. Thanks very much. Thank you. Wishing you the best. Good luck. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. I'm so glad you popped by. If you've liked this, give it a share, subscribe, even give us a rate and review. Share it out to someone who knows, and I look forward to seeing you on the next edition. Bye.